today's sermon is called Heart to Heart. Heart to Heart. Can anyone tell me what this phrase heart to heart means? <laughs> or is this an old phrase that's kind of gone out of style now? Okay. Heart to heart is when two usually close friends have a very personal and candid conversation about their problems. And they have a heart to heart conversation. Right? So it could be a mother and a daughter or father and son or close friends, a husband and wife, just having a heart-to-heart conversation. It's not those surface-level conversations that we're used to. It's not weather talk. It's not, hey, you got a booger in your nose. Just, you know. um, it's not one of those. It's like, hey, let's, let's talk about some you know, difficult things that we've both been going through. And so what we're about to see in this passage that we're about to look into, or the passage leading up to this contextually, there's a heart-to-heart conversation that happens between two somewhat close friends, that is the prophet Samuel and King Saul. And you'll see why I also call this heart-to-heart, because we're about to look at also a little shepherd boy named David out in the field, whom God describes as a man after my own heart. You guys ever build furniture and (laughs) you think, you know what, I don't need the instructions? And you're like, well, this looks simple. There's some screws here. There's some holes there. Here are the boards. And you try to build it thinking, you got this. And it starts off well. And you're almost toward the end, what looks like might be the final steps, and only to realize that somewhere toward the beginning, you totally messed up. You used the wrong screw. You put it on the wrong side of the panel. Or you used the wrong panel. And you got to start all over again. Or it's completely wrecked. You just can't redeem it. Well, that's kind of what happens with this guy named King Saul. He starts out really well. First of all, the whole nation doesn't start out well. Israel is like, you know what, Samuel the prophet? We want a king just like the nations around us. We want to be just like the nations around us. So we need a king. And Samuel, he's grieving. He's talking to God. And he's going, God, like, they, they've rejected me. And God goes, you know, don't worry. They haven't really rejected you. They've actually rejected me. But I will give them what they want. It's not going to go well for them. So they give him this really tall king named King Saul, who looks just like the other nation's kings. And they give him King Saul, and he starts out well. He's, hum- he's very humble, actually. He's hiding. He's hiding under some baggage, going, I don't want to be king. He-, he starts out well, right? He rises up to leadership. He's anointed by Samuel, and-, and he starts out well. He's doing well, but all of a sudden he starts to fall in all these compromising ways. And essentially what he's ruled by is being ruled by how things appear and then preserving his own interests. Being ruled by how things appear and being ruled by preserving his own interests. And how many of us know that temptation? That essentially, if we're going to be honest, is the natural trajectory of our lives if we don't allow God to work on our hearts. Being ruled by how things appear on the outside and being obsessed with preserving our own interests. Don't we all struggle with that? And it leads to all manner of corrosion and corruption into our lives, right? And so there's a number of occasions where this happens with King Saul. There's a number of occasions, and and, and the main one where where it starts off, where it starts off, it always begins with a little seed that germinates into this giant oak tree of rebellion. And so this is what happened with Saul, is that that one time he was 
He, he was waiting. He, he had a battle coming up. He was surrounded by innumerable Philistine armies. And they're, they're coming at him and his men. And, and, and so what he does, he's, he's supposed to wait, you know, eight days. And then Samuel the prophet's going to come and he's going to tell him what he needs to do. He gain the Lord's favor. And, and so Samuel doesn't arrive at the exact time on the eighth day that he wants. And so he goes ahead and he makes a sacrifice himself, which is what only the priests were supposed to do according to the book of Numbers. And he does it, and then Samuel comes, and he's like, well, what have you done? And then we got it up here. Oh, seven days. He waited seven days. It was a time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So people are fleeing in, in fear, right? So verse 9, so Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me, and the peace offerings, and he offered the burnt offering. Verse 10, as soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Verse 11, Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, what when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. So let's pause right there. This is, this is, this is so real, is it not? The Bible doesn't, doesn't you know, try to polish his image. This is exactly what we do. We say, look, it's everyone else's fault. And I was kind of forced to do it. I mean, do you see what I'm going through here? Hey, you, you, let me put the finger at you. When whenever you're pointing your finger at someone, what, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? Let's be honest. It, it, when it comes to other people's sins, we have, like, eagle-eye vision at other people's sins. But when it comes to our sin, we have every reason to justify why we do what we do. Isn't that so true? It's exactly what's happening here with King Saul. Look, it's everyone else's fault. Let's keep going. Verse 12. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me, I go gale, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Verse 13, and Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought, sought after, set out a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Point number one is this, it's guard your heart. Guard your heart. Again, as King Saul, what he was ruled by was how things appeared on the outside. Everything that he sees by sight, not by faith, that's ruling his heart. And his heart is being attacked because of what he sees, what his circumstances are. We all know this, don't we? We look at our lives, whatever circumstance it is that's troubling us, and that just kind of caves in, and then that goes into hearts and molds it and shapes it into this puddle that is unable to withstand that trial. Guard your heart. It says right here in the book of Proverbs uh, chapter 4, verse 23, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Say, well, you got to protect that. you got to guard that. Everything in your life, your thoughts, your actions, your practices, your destiny, everything is going to be determined by your heart. you got to protect that, what you think about, what you dwell on. you got to protect that. The heart was the seat of the emotions, the will, and the reason. So you have to guard that and protect that. How many of us are just letting everything come at us full speed with whatever screen it's on, whether it's that rectangle in our pockets or whatever's happening out there in this world. We're letting that come full speed and we don't even discern or even protect our hearts from it. Guard it. Guard it. Look at this next verse here. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, and, and with thanksgiving. So no matter what it is that you're anxious about, you have a reason to give God thanks. And with that, you go to God with it. Let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See that? So he's saying that no matter what you're going through, even though you're tempted to be so anxious about it, and you're letting, you're, you're letting that come full speed into your heart and to mold your heart, he's saying, no, you need, you, the way you got to you got to guard your heart with thanksgiving, knowing who God is and how good he has been. He's good, he's faithful, and he is able. But rather, we scramble, don't we? We scramble. That's exactly what Saul continued to do. So again, guard your heart. Let's keep going here. So now we're diving into 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? Which, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I've provided for myself a king among his sons. Let's pause right there. What's really interesting here is, number one, I mean, Samuel, like, he's, he's grieving. Like, he is grieving day and night over King Saul and how much he has fallen. Because he had so much hope that, that this King Saul, that he, he, he would do good, and that he would do good for Israel, for God's glory, and that he would be faithful, that he wouldn't compromise. But King Saul fails miserably time and time again over time. And so he's grieving, grieving, grieving. And the Lord asks Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul? <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't say, like, why are you grieving? He understands. Yeah, th- this is grievous. What he has done, what he's been doing, it- it's grievous. I- and I have rejected him as king. So, yeah, t- take time to offer your pain to me, how hurt you are, how disappointed and frustrated you are. But you've got to move on. How many of us linger in our pain for days, for weeks, for months, for years, for decades? And it stops us from moving forward into the will of God. When disappointments happen in our lives, they become opportunities to see what we truly desire. When disappointments happen in our lives, it becomes an opportunity for us to see what we truly desire. And what we truly desire is going to determine how we handle those disappointments. And if what we truly desire is whatever that thing that didn't come through, whatever that thing or that experience or that person or whatever event you want to happen, and it doesn't happen, and it completely crushes you. And if you, if you don't reset your eyes back onto God and say, God, you are all I want, to know you and to make you know, if, you, if we don't do that, we'll fall into discontentment. And if we don't get out of discontentment, we will give in to depression. So if you ever want to find out, how did I even get to this place? How did I get into this place of depression? You can usually trace it back to discontentment. And you want to know how you got to discontentment? Through disappointments. And how you handle those disappointments because of your true desire. So Samuel, God's going, look, Prophet Samuel, look. I know what happened with Saul, it was grievous. I get it, but you have to move on because I am the Lord. I've got a plan. We've got to keep moving. You've got to trust in me. Don't put your trust in man. Trust in me. How many of us are so paralyzed because of disappointments that have led to discontentment, that have led to depression, and we can't move forward? It's immobilized us. It's like quicksand. 
So I just want to ask you guys, just take that opportunity. If you find yourself going through disappointments, go, like, why is this crushing me? I mean, sure, it's disappointing. Offer it to God. How come I can't move forward? It's because there's a ruling desire there. You got to figure out what that is. And you got to redirect that at the God who is in control of all things and is working for your good. That's the only way you can move forward. And that's exactly what God is telling him to do. He's like, look, I got a, I got a better plan. Matter of fact, this is plan A. Because if you remember from the book of Ruth, Boaz, who married Ruth, had a great grandson named David. God already had a plan. This was actually plan A. <laughs> so guard your heart. And then right there, second point, check your heart. Check your heart. What are the ruling desires that's causing me to discontentment and then depression? What's causing it? Got to check it. You know, my wife, Rebecca, she was a telemetry nurse. So she's dealt with literally specialized in the heart. And I was just talking over these things with her just to make sure I'm not the expert on this. And, and, and when, when people have a blockage in their heart, they need to go in there with a camera and check out what's actually going on there. What is it that's, is there blockage? And we got to go clear that. And then once you clear that, you put it in a little stent to open it up more so that blood can flow smoothly in the heart and to the rest of your body. You got to go in and check it. So again, these disappointments, when a blockage happens, it becomes an opportunity to see what is your heart really running on? What is your heart running on? That's exactly what Samuel had to do. Am I putting my hope in man? Or am I putting my hope in God? Check your heart. Let's keep moving. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Which was actually part of the ceremony of anointing a new king. You make a sacrifice and worship to God. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? Prophets sometimes pronounce judgment, and sometimes were the means of judgment of God upon disobedience. And so do you come peaceably? He said, I peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Okay? And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So here, Samuel, he finally moves forward, and he, and he redirects his, his desire to God, and he walks in God's will, and he's about to come upon this amazing blessing that he did not foresee when he was disappointed, discontent, and depressed. Verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So this is really interesting. So this was a, a really tall dude, and, and so they look at Eliab, who's tall, and he goes, well, surely this guy is blessed. This guy must be a man of God. I mean, look at his height, and surely he's going to be the next king to be faithful for God's glory. But God's like, look, don't look at that appearance and his height. I see not as man sees. How many of us look at the lives of celebrities or social media influencers and go, man, they've got the good life. I want to be blessed in that way. And we fall further into discontentment and depression. 
God sees, not as man sees. Don't focus on the outward appearance. We all know that these filtered social media lives are not accurate to begin with. And let's take, let's, I'm going to drive home further. How many of us look at our lives and our circumstances and go, the, from the way things appear, there's no way any good can come out of this. This is not the good life. God cannot do anything with this. God is absent from this. And again, we're falling through discontentment and depression. And we can't move forward in God's will. And our feet become locked in, in moving forward by footsteps of faith. God does not see as man sees. How many of us need to fix our eyes on God? Hebrews chapter 11, 1. Faith is hope in the things that are unseen. We live by faith and not by sight. What are you living for? Let's keep going. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, so they get younger and shorter, and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And let's pause right there. So Jesse, he's like, look, there's potential. From looking on the outside, this is where it looks like the good life is at. This is where it looks like the blessing is at. These are the things that I'm going to give my attention to. But David, no hope. We don't need to give him attention. I think that is such a good picture of how we go about our lives. We, we go about our lives and we go, you know what, just, just by sight and not by faith. I, I look at this world and I, and I see, according to this world's wisdom, how it is to achieve the good life, how it is to achieve satisfaction, significance, and security. And I, and I look at those things and I go, that's what I've got to give my attention to. This is where I'm investing in, I'm putting all my time and energy towards that. All my time, talents, and treasures, I'm putting it towards those things. But God, Jesus, he's over here on the periphery. I I, I don't need to tend to that. I mean, he's over there doing his thing, shepherding. But for me, I got these other things going on. And God's going, those other things aren't even going to last, let alone fulfill you. You know this deep down inside. And if that's you, I'm going to invite you to say, I want to give Jesus a shot. I want to give him a fair shot. Let's bring Jesus into the center. And let's focus on Jesus. And see what God has in store. Let's keep going. Verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So David comes in, right? This young shepherd boy. And God's like, that's the one. He's the one. He, his heart is attuned to my heart. His heart is in full surrender to obey me. This was in 1 Samuel chapter 13, a few chapters before this. And so my third and final point is this, surrender your heart. 
surrender your heart. Here's the thing, David, he literally just like shepherding sheep, and then all of a sudden, you know, he hears his dad like, hey, come back to the house. And he goes, and he just doesn't know what's happening. And he sees Samuel the prophet, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon him, right? He had nothing to do with this. There's nothing that he did to merit this to happen. But all that he could do was surrender his heart to what God wanted to do. That's all he could do. That's all God wants. Psalm 51, David would write this later on. A broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. And all he could do was just, okay, I will draw near. And then the Lord draws near. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. That's all we could do, church, friends. We, we just say, okay, God, here I am. I want you more than anything, more than anyone. I want to know you and make you known. And I want to follow you all the days of my life till you bring me home into your presence. You, you, you are all that I want. Psalm chapter 73, the psalmist says, there's nothing on earth that, that I desire besides you. Though my heart and my flesh may fail, the Lord is my portion forever. That's it. That's all we could do. We have nothing that we can offer God. No good deeds, no, no achievements, no accolades, nothing. All we could do is offer our hearts and say, God, here I am. I want you. I want my heart to be molded by your heart. I want to know your heart. And I want people to know your heart. And the Spirit of the Lord rushes upon David and rests upon him. And church, Jesus said that for all of us who, who believe in him, that he will cleanse us of all of our shame, all the times that we didn't trust in him, all the times that we did look to this world for significant security and satisfaction, for all the times that we did disobey, for all the times that we did go astray from the Lord and his commands, that he covers all of that, all of that. The blood covers it all. Do you understand that? That if you believe that he washes you clean of all of your shame, all the times that you done messed up like King Saul, he washes it clean away if you will put your trust in him. And he promises that from that day forward, his Holy Spirit will dwell within and with you to the very end until he brings you home. And what that also means is you're going to allow the Spirit to direct all of your steps now in complete surrender. You will no longer follow your own will or the world's will, but I will follow God's will as the Spirit leads me and not live according to the flesh, but rather mortifying the flesh and living to the Spirit. I just want to close with this passage. I'm just going to read it. Galatians chapter 5, 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are signs that you do not believe, that Jesus is not Lord and Savior of your life. Let's keep going. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Surrender your heart to God and follow his footsteps according to his word. Do not compromise. Keep your eyes set on the glory of Christ and delight in him and what he has promised you. And you will walk in tune with the Spirit who exalts Christ in our hearts and in our words and in our actions. So guard your heart, check your heart, and surrender your heart to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray.